What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast, the show for all things real food and the processes that bring it to the table. As always, I'm your host, Poldy Wieland, and on today's episode, it's just me and no guests. I haven't done one of these in a while, but, you know, I had some time to do some research of my own, and uh, I want to do more of these solo episodes again, how I used to. So I hope to bring more of those to you in the future. What I'll be talking about today are actually the grass-fed labels on beef and dairy products here in the U.S., Many of you probably look for the grass-fed label when you're out grocery shopping. Some of you might exclusively buy products, food products that have the grass-fed label on it. But like so many of the things in the food nutrition world, food labels can be quite confusing. They don't always mean what they imply, and the standards behind them aren't always super rock solid. But I will get into all of this during this episode. One thing before I get to the episode overview, I just want to say that the Year of Plenty knife giveaway ended last week. Thank you to everyone who took the time to enter. I did the drawing this weekend and picked a lucky winner. The winner will receive a Shun Chef knife handcrafted in Japan with $180 value. And I'm super excited to finally send this out. So if you want to find out who won, stick around until the end of the episode when I announce the winner. Okay, with that housekeeping done, let's get to a quick episode overview. I start out by talking about the grass-fed beef label, you know, whom the government regulates it, what the standards and definitions really are, what meat producers need to do in terms of livestock management practices and the documentation that they need to supply to be able to really put a grass-fed label on their products. And then finally, I'm going to get into the labels that ensure that on-site farm audits are done because that doesn't always happen. And then I basically do the same with the dairy label, the dairy grass-fed beef label, because the standards there are somewhat different and the label is also handled by a different government agency. So without much further ado, let's get into this episode. Now, with the amount of marketing dollars going into selling food products, it can be difficult to avoid falling for some of these marketing schemes that are targeted at us consumers. And I think this is especially an issue when it comes to health foods that you're getting from the grocery store. You know, in the end, it's really up to us to inform ourselves about the food that we buy to really make sure that we're getting what we're actually looking for. And I think one way that you can become a more conscious consumer is to really learn about some of those labels that we find on food. You know, that way, you know if they have actual meaning or if they're just really there to kind of catch your eye and get you to buy the food. A lot of us rely on food labels when we're in a supermarket to make sure that the food we're buying meets our nutritional standards and our moral standards. And that's totally fine. After all, the labels and claims on the packaging are meant to really communicate that kind of information to us consumers. But what many don't know is that a lot of the claims found on food labels aren't always you know, heavily regulated or have all that much meaning. Now, don't get me wrong. There are labels that are heavily regulated 100%, but then there are also those that aren't. Some labels are certifications provided by government agencies. Others are kind of accredited by third-party organizations. 
And then there are even others that aren't verified by anyone and can just kind of be slapped on food packaging willy-nilly. So a question you might have is, how do we make sense of all of them, right? Well, we probably don't. Honestly, there are so many food labels out there. But I think a good place to start is to look at some of the food labels that we find on real foods, like meat, for example, right? Or vegetables. Now, ideally, you know, you're getting your food from a butcher or from your gardener or, you know, you're growing it yourself and then there's no food label there. But that's not always the reality and a lot of us still get food from the grocery store, right? And there, even these real foods are likely to have packaging. So today, I want to help you guys get more familiar with two categories of these food labels. And the ones I really want to shed some light on are the grass-fed labels found on beef and dairy products. So first, you know, I want to talk about these because they are labels that are often found on the packaging of real food. And also the grass-fed label, I would say, is one that a lot more health-conscious or animal welfare-conscious people look for. Now, before we get deep into it, I just want to give you a little bit more context the government organizations that are responsible for food safety and labeling standards here in the U.S. are usually the USDA, so the United States Department of Agriculture, the FSIS, which is the Food Safety and Inspection Service, and that is a branch of the USDA, actually. And then we also have the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration. If we're talking about grass-fed labels... The ones that are found on meat are overlooked by the FSIS and the grass-fed labels on dairy by the FDA. Okay, now that you know who is supposed to really be overlooking which of these labels, which of these grass-fed labels, you know, either on beef or on dairy, let's talk about the grass-fed beef label first. This one, I'm guessing, is probably one that a lot of you look for. Now, when most of you think about grass-fed you probably imagine cows roaming a luscious green pasture for their entire life. And that is somewhat or sometimes true, but it really depends on what grass-fed label you're looking for and you know which one we're really talking about. To make more sense of the grass-fed beef label, let me give you a little bit more history. So in the past, the grass-fed beef label was historically overseen by the AMS or the Agricultural Marketing Service which again is also a branch of the USDA. But in 2016, the AMS and you know thus the USDA said they were going to drop the label because it wasn't really within their authority to oversee the grass-fed marketing claims on meat. And as you can imagine, that caused a lot of uproar from several different groups. You know, we had the animal welfare group that was totally against this. We had the farmers that were totally against it, and then even some consumer protection organizations as well. This caused so much uproar because the standards for grass-fed marketing claims before 2016 that they had put on meat were actually the result of many years of meetings and discussions between all of these parties. So yeah, you know, it makes sense that they were pretty pissed when the AMS just decided to not uphold any standards for grass-fed claims at all anymore. A lot of people within those groups thought that this would really lead to bad situations in the meat market. Kind of how it was several decades ago, several decades prior, when there was basically zero oversight and a lot of the grain-fed cattle were actually being sold as grass-fed cattle. Like, for example, I have a quote here from 2016 from Fred Hefner, who is the policy director 
for the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, and he said that, quote, meat labeling just became even more confusing for farmers and consumers. The USDA is revoking a label standard that had widespread farm and consumer support. Actions such as this take us into a Wild West situation where anything goes and both farmers and consumers lose, end quote. So yeah, after all that big or ordeal, you know, all these consumer organizations and farmers and whatnot, animal welfare groups being pissed that the AMS is dropping or was dropping this grass-fed label for beef. The FSIS stepped up in 2016, like later that year. The same year though, and a lot of people don't know this, but they stepped up and said that they would take authority over the grass-fed label and really continue the previous grass-fed standards for meat that the AMS had been using, which that should have been great news for everyone that was upset about the AMS dropping it in the first place, right? And now on top of that, in 2019, so not that long ago, the FSIS even updated their standards to be even better than what the AMS had in 2016 before they dropped them. So yeah, there are government agencies currently looking after the grass-fed meat label, even though that's something that a lot of people deny or a lot of people say isn't the case. And that is because all they heard about was that uproar in, at the beginning of 2016 when the AMS dropped those labels. But I guess they hadn't read or learned about the FSIS taking these labels and even updating them to make them even better. But here's the thing. What does it really take to get approval from the FSIS to slap a grass-fed label on meat products in 2021? Well, the FSIS tells us in their 2019 guidance that, quote, grass-fed or 100% grass-fed claims may only be applied to meat and meat product labels derived from cattle that were only 100% fed grass, so forage, after being weaned from their mother's milk. The diet must be derived solely from forage and animals cannot be fed grains or grain byproducts and must have continuous access to pastures during the growing season until slaughter. This means 100% grass-fed animals are never confined to a feedlot. End quote. Okay, that's a mouthful. Let's break that down. So the first part of this FSIS definition says that the grass-fed cattle must only eat 100% grass forage after they stop drinking their mother's milk. Okay, that's good. Next thing is that they cannot be fed grain or grain byproducts. I think that's even better because, you know, that's just not their natural diet. But what does it mean to only eat 100% grass forage and not grain or grain byproducts? Well, the FSIS has an answer for that too, and they say that forage consists of grass, annual and perennial, forbs like legumes and brassica, browse or cereal grain crops in the vegetative or pre-grain state. So that's pretty clear, but I want you to note that the term grass forage also includes hay, haylage, baleage, silage, crop residue without grain, and other roughage sources. So those are all acceptable to be fed to grass-fed cows as well. So it's not that they're just going to be grazing fresh pastures. Then the second part of the grass-fed beef label definition says that, quote, the cattle must have continuous access to pasture during the growing season until slaughter. This means 100% grass-fed animals are never confined to a feedlot, end quote. 
So I really like that their definition includes a standard for continuous pasture access because this means that farmers can't just keep cattle in a feedlot and just feed them hay or silage all year long and then still call it grass-fed, you know, or 100% grass-fed. But there is some nuance here that we shouldn't overlook. Again, so the definition says that cattle must have continuous access to pasture during the growing season until slaughter. So they really only have to be in pastures during the growing season, which I think is very vague. And, you know, I'm sure that can differ depending on the region that the cattle are raised in. So to me, this part of the definition means that, yes, they need to have access to pastures, but don't think that the grass-fed meat you're buying comes from cows that, you know, were outside on pastures all year long, 365. And, you know, personally, I understand that because there's a lot of things farmers have to deal with when it comes to raising cattle on pastures. And it's not always as simple as just letting them go outside, you know. But I will talk a little bit more about that or what I mean by that at the end of this episode if we have time for it. Now, what if the animals aren't 100% grass-fed? Can they still be called grass-fed? Well, if that is the case... According to the FSIS, the label must clearly say so. So it sure as heck can't say 100% grass-fed, word for word. For example, if the cows were fed 15% corn, then the label needs to say, made from cows, fed 85% grass and 15% corn, which personally I've never ever seen that label, but supposedly it's a thing. Now if we look at all of this, I'm personally pretty happy that this is the standard that the FSIS strives for. I was always under the impression, like many other people, that there was really no definition for grass-fed at all from the government, um, especially after that whole 2016 ordeal that we talked about earlier. But I think it's important for us to know that the FSIS has these standards, but they do not do any on-site audits at farms. So if a producer, if a meat producer wants to use the grass-fed label, all they really have to do is send in documentation to show that they're indeed meeting the FSIS definition of grass-fed beef that I just went over. Once a meat producer that wants to sell the beef as you know, grass-fed or 100% grass-fed, once they send in this documentation, all the organization then does is perform a desk audit to see if it really meets their standards. And, you know, this obviously can vary from situation to situation. So you guys might be interested in what is needed for this on-desk audit. And here it is. So meat producers need to submit, one, their proposed grass-fed label. So I guess they can propose what they want their grass-fed label to look like. Then they need a detailed written description explaining controls that ensure that cattle are indeed 100% grass-fed and will not be fed the grains. Third, a signed and dated document describing the diet of the animals to support that the claims are not false or misleading. Fourth, a description that details a mechanism for tracing and segregating the meat from time of slaughter or further processing through packaging, wholesale, and retail. And then finally, a written description for the identification, control, and segregation of non-conforming animals or products. So that is all that they need to give to the FSIS, really. But the meat producers don't need to get checked on-site to see if they're actually following these procedures and the practices that they claim to be following, right? That they claim to be doing in these documents. 
And I guess all us consumers can really do is trust that the meat producers are truthful about what they're saying and that the FSIS, you know, did their due diligence in verifying the documents. Now, but if you don't trust this general process that the FSIS uses, you know, you might want to see on-site audits. Well, then there are some specific labels you can look for. One of those being a grass-fed label on meat plus a label called USDA Process Verified. If a meat producer decides to you know, have a normal grass-fed label from the FSIS but also go through this USDA Process Verified program, they will actually have to get an on-site audit. But again, this is a voluntary thing and if it happens, it will be labeled clearly on the meat packaging with a label that says USDA Process Verified. And I have seen that one a couple of times before. Another label you might find is one that says USDA Grass-Fed. So this label won't just say grass-fed or 100% grass-fed, and it won't just be one that a meat producer submitted to the FSIS, but it actually has the word USDA in the name. Now, because it has USDA in the name, the rules are a little different for this one. There wasn't really a ton of info I could find on it during my research, but what I found out was that on the USDA website, there's actually a PDF that is basically a write-up of a bunch of questions that people sent in with the USDA's answers to them. And some actually you know, asked about the differences to the Blaine grass-fed label from the FSIS versus the USDA grass-fed label. So they asked the USDA, quote, could you please clarify the differences in the statements USDA certified grass-fed, USDA grass-fed, and grass-fed as to what documentation or certification is required to use to claim on a label, end quote. And here's what the USDA answered with. Quote, if you want to use the label USDA certified grass-fed or USDA grass-fed, which involves the USDA name or the USDA backing the claim, then that facility must have a QSA program to where we audit the facility, then the FSIS will allow labels to be used such as USDA grass-fed or USDA certified grass-fed on those products, end quote. So they actually do an on-site audit for this one. But again, meat producers don't need it. It's just if they want their grass-fed label to be the specific USDA grass-fed label. So a logical question you guys might have is, well, if a QSA program is needed for this USDA certified grass-fed label or this USDA grass-fed label, what the heck is a QSA program? So the QSA program is as follows. QSA stands for Quality System Assessment, which means that they basically make the meat producers establish a quality management system, meaning that they need to come up with standards and write them down in like a manual. Then they're supposed to meticulously follow that manual, not sure if they do, to really maintain the consistency in their product. So to me, this is also super vague. I mean, this is literally coming from the USDA website, what I just told you, and it seems very case-specific again. Okay, after learning about all these, you know, mainly government-issued labels that may or may not have on-site audits, you might still be asking, what is really the best way to ensure that the meat you're buying does come from 100% grass-fed cattle? Well, after learning about all this, in my opinion, I think you should look for third-party labels. And I want to go over some of these. So one that stands out is the AGA, the American Grass-Fed Association. 
They have really good standards and on-site audits for ruminant, pork, and even dairy products. Let me share with you their diet requirements for their AGA certified grass-fed beef label. So it says here they quote, AGA certified grass-fed ruminant animals are born, raised, and finished on open grass pastures where perennial and annual grasses, forms, legumes, brassicas, browse, and post-harvest crop residue without grain are the sole energy sources, with the exception of mother's milk from birth to harvest. Hay, haylage, silage, and ensilage from any of the above sources may be fed to the animals while on pastures during periods of inclement weather or low forage quality. Now, this is like really similar to what the FSIS says about their grass-fed label, right? But what I like about this, I mean, first of all, I think it's it sounds a little better, like it has more detail in there. And uh, the other thing is that they have an on-site audit, like they go and check these farms to make sure that what they're saying, they're actually doing. And you know, the AGA focuses on other fundamentals that their label is based on. And some of those include regenerative management approach designed to enhance land, water, and air quality, which I think is amazing. Then another fundamental they have is no confinement, animal health and welfare, and American origin and identification. So all those things need to be met for someone to put that AGA label on their grass-fed beef. And I think that is a well-rounded awesome label and definition or standard for it. There are other of these third-party labels to look for for your grass-fed beef, and some of these include Certified Grass-Fed by AGW. Yes, there's also an on-site audit for that. Actually, there's an on-site audit for all of these. Food Alliance Certified Grass-Fed is another one, and then the other one, the last one, is Animal Welfare Approved Grass-Fed. So again, you have the AGA, American Grass-Fed Association label, then you have the Certified Grass-Fed by AGW, then the Food Alliance Certified Grass-Fed, and the Animal Welfare Approved Grass-Fed. What's good about these labels is that these standards are strictly defined, and there are on-site audits that are performed in all cases, which, you know, for me, that's really straightforward, and that's what I would like to see when I'm buying grass-fed beef. Okay, so that's all I have on the grass-fed beef label, but what if you see a grass-fed label on dairy? While well, the label on dairy products are actually not handled by the FSIS, like the grass-fed beef label, instead they're handled by the FDA. If we're talking about grass-fed dairy, like the term, the label, the standard, according to the Center of Agriculture and Food Systems, quote, the FDA has not defined this term because there's no legal definition of this term. It can mean what the producer suggests it does, as long as the claim is not misleading end quote, whatever that means, right? <laughs> so yeah, to me, it looks like there's no government enforcement of grass-fed dairy labels at all, really. And that's what I could find my research, at least. If you guys learn about anything else, do not shy away and send me that, please, so I can learn about that too. But I did a bunch of research, and my conclusion is that there's very little, if any, enforcement of the grass-fed dairy label. So you guys might be wondering then, what can us consumers look for to gain some clarity when it comes to the grass-fed dairy label? Now, some of you might have already been buying the dairy that has the USDA organic label on it, thinking that because it says organic, the cattle are grass-fed all year long. 
but uh, that's not necessarily the case. According to the USDA, under the organic label, ruminant animals must be grazed throughout the entire grazing season for the geographical region, which shall not be less than 120 days per calendar year. So that's a good one, right? They still need to, like for the organic label, they need to be grazed at least for 120 days. The farmers also need to provide all ruminants under the organic system plan with an average of not less than 30% of their dry matter intake from grazing throughout the grazing season. So that one I don't really like. In short, this really means that they need to have access to pastures for at least 120 days in a year and their food intake needs to consist of 30% grass and not grain. It's only 30%. I don't know how I like that. So the, the main point here is that if you're buying dairy products with USDA organic label on them, at least you can kind of, you know, be sure that these animals have access, have like access to pastures and that they are indeed aiding grass, but don't think that they were 100% grass-fed how we have for um, some of the meat labels, meat grass-fed beef labels. And again, you might be asking yourself, well, what the heck then? What should I be looking for if I want dairy from cows that are 100% grass-fed? And again, here my answer is look for third-party labels. There are two good ones that I really recommend. First, the AGA. Same as with grass-fed meat, the AGA grass-fed label on dairy really ensures very strict standards for 100% grass-fed cattle and continuous third-party audits on the farm. The other one to look for is certified grass-fed organic dairy. I was actually just drinking some kefir with that label on it before I started recording this podcast. And this label was actually created by several companies that seem to care about there being truth behind the products that they sell and behind the labels of the products that they sell. There were really two big dairy producers that were involved in creating this label. Uh, one of them being Organic Valley, which I'm a big fan of. When I lived in La Crosse, Wisconsin, they were really close to me. Uh, you know, I knew that a lot of their milk was coming from farms around some of those streams that I was fishing for trout, and I would spend a lot of time in those pastures, which always got me excited. And the other company that uses this or was at least involved in creating this label is Maple Hill Organic. That's the company I had that kefir from that I was just talking about. But, you know, there's several other producers that are now verified under the label. But this label, again, has very strict standards that need to be met. There was actually a blog post that Organic Valley put out about this label. And this is kind of how they defined it. The animals can have no grain, only all grasses to eat. Animal wellness checks are required. So they're doing like an on-site audit here. Organic is the foundation. Farmers are grass-fed certified annually by an independent third party Plenty of pasture, minimum of 150 days per year. So that's even more than the organic label. And then end-to-end -end certification from field to table, meaning that the milk that is coming from these animals that are actually 100% grass-fed is also what's in your carton when you buy it at the grocery store. On top of this, the certified grass-fed organic dairy label also requires a pasture management plan. And I freaking love this. So if a farm or any like dairy producer wants to put this label on their dairy products that they're selling, the farmers that the milk is coming from must maintain a pasture management plan that meets all applicable requirements of the National Organic Program and includes practices that allow for pasture rest and regrowth and prevent overgrazing. 
That is beautiful. I like this program because it actually has land stewardship built into it. The pasture management plan, make sure that the pastures aren't overgrazed and basically destroyed, which sadly happens a lot. You know, managing the pastures right is actually great for the environment and necessary to build healthy biodiverse soil. So there you have it. Those are the two labels you can look for on dairy products if you want to ensure grass-fed. Again, the first one is the AGA label, American Grass-Fed Association, and the other one is the Certified Grass-Fed Organic Dairy label. Now, there are several others you can look for that I won't go over in this episode, but one other thing I want to note is that there are many farmers out there doing a great job when it comes to pasture raising and grass feeding livestock. They just don't have the resources or the money to apply and pay for some of these labels. So if you find a local farmer that doesn't have the label, they might still be doing a good job following some of these standards, right? And the cool thing about knowing your farmer is that you can actually go talk to them and convince yourself of their production methods. I always like doing that if I pursue that route. The final thing I want to bring to your attention is that although I wish all cattle were 100% grass-fed, this is a standard that is really hard for farmers to meet and keep up. Having enough grass to feed to all your livestock comes with a ton of challenges. There are many times where farmers just can't let their cattle out on pastures because it could lead to serious pasture damage, and that would not be ideal, obviously. One I already mentioned is overgrazing. If cattle stay on pastures too long, they will graze the plants to the point where they just can't recover. In nature, ruminants like bison or elk really keep moving all the time to new places once they graze an area for a while, but the same isn't always possible for fenced-in pastures. Other conditions that might limit how often farmers can put their cows in pastures are too much rain, hail, blizzards, etc. You know, drought and bushfires can also play a role. So I think we need to really appreciate the people who are out there working hard, making sure that their cows, you know, are on pastures as much as possible and making it happen despite these challenges. All right, that's all I have on grass-fed labels for all of you. This was a much harder topic to research than I thought because a lot of the information out there is vague and kind of outdated, to be honest. If you want sources to this episode, feel free to shoot me a direct message on Instagram. Um, I won't be putting them in the episode descriptions anymore, but you know, if you want them, I still have them all in a document. All right, everyone, that's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed it and it wasn't boring. But don't leave quite yet. I still need to announce who won the giveaway. And the winner of this year of plenty giveaway, drum roll please, is Justin from JTS Flybox on Instagram. So Justin, congratulations on winning the giveaway. I just want to read his review here quick that he left on the podcast. So he says, this is such a great show. I discovered it when the guest was a host from another podcast I subscribed to. It has now been added to my list of regular shows. As someone living on a small homestead, pushing towards self-sustaining living and reliability, the list of topics are usually relevant to me. The host brings a worldview as well as discussing some of the difference between our system and that of Europe. I love the variety of guests and will keep listening as long as you're making content. Thank you so much for those kind words and the support, Justin. Don't worry, I'm not stopping making content anytime soon. There's only going to be more episodes, and I, I just hope to be making more content in general. Congrats on winning, Justin. You're the lucky winner, and I will be sending you a DM soon so I can get this knife to you. 
All right, that's another giveaway in the books. I will be doing more in the future. But for now, that's it, my friends. Thank you so much for your continuous support. Until next time, let's keep exploring real foods together.